direct us in our study of your word this morning. And Father, just open our hearts and be, let us be receptive to your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. You notice, if you got a bulletin, I'm sorry we ran out this morning for some reason. The, the, that thing, the copy machine, ate a bunch of them, so uh, we ran a little bit short. But we're talking about the conclusion of 1 Timothy. And some of you, man, I'm glad we're finally getting to the end of this book. It's been a while. You ever thought about it? God's, God tells us to preach the whole council. Preach the whole Bible, right? There are 66 books in the Bible. 1 Timothy is fairly short. It's only got six chapters. And it's taken us, well, between holidays, about seven months to go through it. So if every seven months I got through a book, even the short ones, and we did one in the morning, one at night, and one on Wednesday, we'd be here a long time going through the whole Word. So that's why my encouragement to you is to study God's Word on your own. See what God's Word says. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to do, finish the overview this week to, to try and draw this book to a close before we go into the Easter resurrection season. And we're going to see this morning that there are those who are preaching today things contrary to the Word of God. And Paul warns Timothy, even way back then, to, that in latter times, if you're watching what's going on today, you can't help but believe we're in the latter times now. Everything we're seeing going on points to the coming of the Lord. I'm excited. Can't tell, huh? I think it would be so great if today, before we finished, we'd hear that trumpet. We'd hear that shout, and bingo, we're gone. That would be... Then you wouldn't have to worry about Chelsea moving to the other side of the state. Because we would be in God's presence. But it says in latter times... Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. What were they saying? They were forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from food which God had created. When I was in the hospital in 2013, the area I was in is run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The whole town, the mayor, the city council, the businesses are run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The big hospital, the big heart hospital, the big children's hospital. This town's full of hospitals. They're all Seventh-day Adventists. That's what they say right on the front of them. I happen to be in a VA hospital, but guess what? They shared staff. The college was a Seventh-day Adventist college. And I, I found it real interesting. This young gal came in one day. She had no clue who I was. And she's trying to tell me about dietary restrictions. And I said, so, you believe in the Old Testament eating because that's what you believe. She said, well... We do pretty good at it, but once in a while we do like a little bit of meat. And I'm like, so what about fish? Well, yeah, but we don't do, and, and I, 
we got into this really long conversation, and at some point it was like, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a Baptist pastor. He's like, oh. But it's fun, because some people are teaching, well, you can't eat this, and you can't eat this, and you can't do this. Uh, went to a wedding one time, and no one was allowed to wear makeup or jewelry. And I'm like, where do you find that? I can tell you the church out on Glen. Glen, if you all wouldn't know where that is, but they know where Glen is in Tucson. And I can see the church. I can remember whose wedding it was. It was odd. Just the way they, they told, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. But if we look at Scripture, all through Scripture, people were saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, unless it's in God's Word that you can't do it. But what's he say about eating? And you can tell, I love to eat. God created, it says, a forbidden marriage, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to receive, receive with thanksgiving by those who believed and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. <clears throat> I don't know if you're following some of the things that are happening in the religious community today, but one a really large denomination voted this week to sanction gay marriage within the church. Within days, 121 churches have signed petitions to remove themselves from that denomination. I caught just a little, a little clip of news. Most of the news I get is from BBC, and they were talking about this pastor here in the United States who has put out a plea for millions of dollars because he needs to buy his jet airplane till he can get to speaking engagements faster in his own jet. First time I ever saw him on TV, I thought, this guy's a little bit, what's he doing? He's doing exactly what Paul's telling Timothy not to get caught up in. Paul's instructing Timothy, what is he supposed to do? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Follow what's in God's Word. Follow what God's Word says, and you'll be okay. You start going off on these little things. I need it. Hey, can we put a runway in here, Mark? A short one? I don't need a jet. You know, could we raise enough for one of them little things? No. What's our focus? Focus should be on truth of God's Word. Verse 7 says, Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. All that stuff that people, you know, and we, we cover this a little bit, how many of you don't walk under ladders? I don't walk under a ladder if somebody's on top of it. They'll be able to drop something on your head. Black cat crosses the road. If your ear itches, is it your ear? I can't remember. If your ear itches, somebody's talking about you. Mary's back there. She, you've heard these, right? 
before you knew Christ as your Savior, we, did, we don't know that these things are wrong. But God's Word tells us we don't get caught up in all that stuff. We should be exercising ourselves toward godliness. That's what God's Word says. We need to be in study. We need to be informed. Uh, I, I appreciate Mike. You ever known anybody that can just get a call on Sunday morning from a, someone and get up and teach a Sunday school class? Mike's got that incredibly weird brain that moves. He can put together a Sunday school class in 10 minutes because he knows God's Word. And he knows a lot of other stuff, but we need, we need to not get caught up in stuff that is not of God. We need to stay close to Him. Verse 10 says, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. We trust in a living God who is a Savior to all men. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. All they have to do is believe. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. That's, that's what it's about. We need to see people get saved. Um, a friend of ours is a president of another mission agency, and he, he went and did a game dinner this week and spoke in a church. They had five men get saved. And then there was some, uh, the roof, oh, I know it was Jody and Jeremy's prayer letter. Uh, they're builders. Uh, they build churches. And the guy that was helping do the roof was not saved. His wife was not saved. They've been, while they're putting a roof on a church, they've been witnessing to this couple, and they both got saved this week. So there were seven people in this one little community that got saved this week because someone's testimony before them let's they need, saw their need to know Christ as their Savior. He's the Savior of all men. It's whether they choose to accept Him or not. And then verse 12 says, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And I don't know, you've probably heard me say it, you're probably going to get tired of it. But those people right out here on this street are going to know who Christ is by the way they see us. Because obviously we're not getting them in here yet. But they need to see Christ in our lives. How, what's your walk? How's your walk today? Verse 13 says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That reading is the information. We read God's word, we draw information from it. That exhortation is application. How do we apply what we learn? And then the doctrine is interpretation. How do we interpret what God's word says and apply it in our lives today? Y'all know you got gifts? I like gifts. Not that kind of gifts. What's Paul tell Timothy? He says, use that gift. So do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. 
Here's one pastor talking to another pastor. Don't neglect those gifts. Use what God's given you to further the kingdom. That's what each one of us should be. Verse 15 of chapter 4, and I think this is one of the key thoughts in, in this whole book, is meditate on these things, giving yourself entirely to them, that you may progress, that your progress may be evident to all. That word progress is a military term. In the original language, it's a military term, which means pioneer or advance. I don't even know who the point man is in, in a military. Pat, you ought to know this. Huh? No, the point man. You're out on patrol. No. Man, Mary, he got hit one too many times in the head, didn't No. Pat, Pat's a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. First man to go out. Your point man is the one who's leading. He's the scout. And that's what Paul says. That you're pro- Yeah, he forgot. I'm glad I forgot some of the stuff I learned too. Yeah. That you may progress. That your progress. How do we know whether we're progressing in our walk? Our lives should show that we're growing. As a Christian... A Christian means Christ-like. We should be growing closer to Christ every day in our walk, in our relationship with Him. Leading the way. Paul's telling Timothy, lead the way. You're out front. Lead that charge. Chapter 5. And I had fun with this one, and I'm going to be real careful today because I don't want to get in trouble. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 16, talks about how we should treat our elders. I'm not talking about the the deacons and elders. That back, I'm going to have to separate that back row. I have to be very careful when I talk about elders. At your... In your family, Mark, you got to be careful about talking about the elders. My grandma, we used to talk about somebody being old, and Grandma Cozart would say, well, how old are they? And she lived into her 90s, and if a person wasn't older than her, they weren't old. And you made her mad. Grandma was about that big, and you did not want to see her mad. So I'm being real careful now today about talking to the elders, but... But in chapter 5, it talks about how we treat the older men. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. We talked about being brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we treat the older ones? We look to the older men. And I do. I have a Paul in my life. I can't tell you how old he is because I've never asked him. But he's a former pastor in California. And... I call him on a regular basis and talk to him, and it's such an encouragement to me. Don't you think this letter was an encouragement to Timothy from Paul? But he's telling him, be careful how you treat the older ones. And then older women, and that's what Paul said, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. And then he gives us the description of how we treat widows 
who actually falls into the category of widows and who the church should help. And to me, we need to know and understand how we treat widows in the church. And we need to be doing a better job. The church as a whole needs to be doing a better job instead of letting society and the government take care of all those needs. God's word tells us to take care of those needs in the lives of our women who are widows. Verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. The early church was struggling with the need to hire a pastor. You know, most of them were tent makers before this time. But one of the problems that you see is if a pastor is working full-time, can he shepherd the, work, the flock full-time? He doesn't sleep. But the early church was struggling in the need to start paying their pastor instead of them all being tent makers. And then he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. That goes back to the law. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6. It's clearly spelled out that if you want to make an accusation against me, bring two or three people. One pastor that I read in a commentary, he said one day this woman came up to him after church and said, Pastor, I've got a problem with you. And he said, just one second. He called over one or two of the men in his church. And he said, now, what's the problem? And the lady walked off. She wanted to accuse him by herself. And he said, no, we're going to have witnesses to this. And the lady left. Goes back to, goes back to the law. You got something? You got a problem? We can talk about it. Got an accusation? Let's, let's have some witnesses there. That's what God's word tells us we need to do. Verse 21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice and doing nothing with partiality. How do we treat others? How do we treat each other in God's family? We spent a lot of time on that, but we need to be, I mean, why do I embarrass Gail and, and Mike? We're going to sing happy birthday. There's nothing wrong with that. We can get together and fellowship. We can get together and have a good time. We can get together and be serious. We are a family. Family, anybody, anybody in your family, you never have a problem with anyone in your family? Y'all just love each other 24-7, right? No, that's why we need to pray for our families. We need to pray for this family right here as we grow together. Verse 23 of chapter 5 says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach 
aches, your stomach's sake, and your frequent infirmities. This is not a license to drink. Some people say, oh, it's okay if I go out and have a few drinks. It says I can go out and get something for my... It's not a license to go drink. Y'all know what you drink when you turn on... How many of you know what comes out of that tap when you turn on the water at home? How many of you don't want to know what comes out of that tap? Most of you. I worked for Tucson Water for 10 years. You don't want to know what comes out of the tap. Before that, I was, a, I was, I was working for them when that whole fiasco with the CAP project went on. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to be from Arizona to understand that one. But, and before that, I was, we worked at a camp. And the law in Arizona said that if you had more than 10 water connections, you had to have a licensed water treatment plant operator on site or that would closely monitor our water treatment that uh, licensed operator was the director of child evangelism fellowship in the state and two weeks or four weeks after we went there he had a heart attack and couldn't come back up to camp so they paid me to go to school to get licensed as a water treatment plan operator I know why Paul tells Timothy have a little wine once in a while. Today, Chelsea, what would you do today? One of your patients comes to you and says, my stomach is always upset. I'm going to embarrass you again, right? I'll tell, I won't make her tell you. She's going to write you a prescription for Prilosec. Or one of those. The reason I know that is when I got out of the hospital the last time, they wrote me a prescription. They gave me 180 pills for the month. I think I've taken six in four months. Paul didn't, Timothy didn't have Prilosec. But because water was not treated as well as it is today, and you can drink your water, I'm sure, but it wasn't treated back then the way it is now, they got all kinds of bugs diseases and stuff. So Paul's telling him, when your stomach's upset, have a little wine, and that's okay. Not a license to drink. Then we looked at chapter 6, and the very beginning of it, uh, yep, one of Jenny's pens is still here, and stuff. But how do you treat your boss? Do you treat your boss at home? Not at home, at work. Actually, my boss, Dave, your boss is at home, right? <laughs> we don't take things from the desk. We don't take things that don't belong to us because they belong to your boss. Your boss paid for them. But how do you treat your boss? But as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own master worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. I shared when we went through this passage, I've worked with Christian guys in, build, in construction that said the worst people to work for are Christians. What kind of a testimony is that? If you have a secular, uh, an unsaved boss, if your testimony at work does not reflect Christ. 
I was getting ready to get in the elevator. When did you make me go? Tuesday. She made me go to the hospital again, so. But I was getting ready to get in the elevator, and I'm overhearing this conversation about from volunteers. About one guy said, yeah, I was down where this whole bank of computers and people were working, and not one of them, some of them were shopping on Amazon, some of them were playing solitaire, said not one person in that whole string of computers was actually doing the work that they were paid to do. And the gal goes, yeah. And all this texting and talking on their phones says they are not giving. And they didn't know who I was. They're just, they're having this conversation about how the people that work in that building are not working for their bosses and earning their keep. I hired two young guys to help me yesterday at the house. One of them's a ninth grader and one of them's a seventh grader. And I told Sharon, one of the blessings for me yesterday, I don't know about you, Dave, we didn't have to watch over him. Dave was up helping me at the house. We didn't have to, I told him, this is where I need you to dig a hole. And they did for six hours. All they did was dig a hole. Didn't get real far, but we dug a hole. And I didn't have to watch him. Because I, I went out and did, did some other work and came back in. They were digging a hole. I went and took, Dave and I went and took a break. We came back. Those boys were digging a hole. You know what? That's a testimony. If when your boss isn't around, you're doing what you should be doing. You're working. I don't know. If Ray walked in and all the computer screens were on YouTube or something, you probably wouldn't be happy, would you, Ray? But how do, we, how do we relate to bosses? How do we relate our testimony in our work relationship? And then the fun one I did was uh, verse 10 of chapter 6. Uh, your U-Haul versus, your U-Haul, or your hearse can't tow a U-Haul. We're not going to take it with us. We're not going to take it with us. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greeting greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows but you O man of God flee these things were to pursue righteousness godliness faith love patience and then we're supposed to stay in the fight verse 12 says fight the good fight long as we have breath in our lungs we're to fight we're supposed to stay in this fight we talked a little bit about that verses 13 to 16 we see who is God. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all. Isn't that fun? When you can talk to students and you can show them from Genesis where life came from, the truth of where life came from, it came from God. And before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, and till our Lord Jesus Christ appeared, which He will manifest in His own time. No one knows the day nor the hour. You're listening to somebody on TV or the radio and they're telling you the Lord's going to come back on May 29th of this year. Don't listen to them because nobody knows. Which He will manifest in His own time. 
He who is blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And then I, in my notes it says P.S. Paul wrote a P.S. on to the end of this letter because he closed the letter with Amen. Sincerely, Paul. And then verse 17, it says, Command those who are rich in, the pre in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. We see rich, we see poor. We're gathering stuff for the mission right now. They're going to do a, a meal for the homeless. We see a lot of people that are, uh, even our poor in this country are rich compared to some of the poor in other countries. But God gives to the rich just as he takes care of the poor. Can you imagine? And you're going to start getting them. I don't have a home phone. If you have a home phone, you're going to get them. Hi, we're collecting for so-and-so. He's running for such-and-such -such on this party. Would you like to donate? Have you looked at how many millions and millions? It's probably getting closer to billions for a na national election that these people have to raise? Can you imagine what we could do with that kind of money for the king? If we had just, if they would tithe, what we could do to further the kingdom off of what's used for all these ads and political things and stuff that just drive us all crazy. But he says in verse 18, let them do good. You ever, you ever known or heard of a rich person that did anything that was good? You're going to have to look it up online. Or maybe, maybe some of you know. How many of you know the name R.G. Letourneau? Y'all don't get out much. He's dead now. But R.G. Letourneau, there's a college in Texas. They train engineering students at his college. It's a Christian college, at least it was when he was alive. And when you graduated, you had a job because you were recognized all over the country if you got your degree from Laterno College that you were, you were a student worthy of hiring. And most of them got good jobs out of there. But besides, besides the school, you know what his claim to fame was? Ray does. R.G. Laterno was a very extremely wealthy individual. Part of his wealth was, he had it up here, he designed the equipment and built it for laying the Alaska pipeline. Almost all the equipment that was used on the Alaska pipeline, he designed and built. He lived on 2% of his income. He gave 98% to the Lord. And you know the problem with giving all that money away? God just kept blessing him. The more he gave away, the more God blessed him. I remember when they were 
doing the, the pipeline stuff, they talked about how many millions and millions of dollars this man made off all this equipment and stuff. And he never quit giving to the Lord. I'm thankful for people that got money. That's, how, why, that's the only way we've been able to be missionaries for 14 years now. Is God blesses people to be able to bless others. That's what it says. Let them do good. R.G. Letourneau did a lot of good. And he's not the only one, but I, I know him by reputation. Some of my buddies growing up went to college there. And just no matter how much he gave, God continued to bless and bless and bless. That they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. What it says, be willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Paul's final encouragement to Timothy in verse 20. O Timothy, guard what was committed to you to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babbling and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Guard what was committed to you in truth. And that's what we do is we guard the truth of Scripture. Because that's what's important. It's been fun. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed going through 1 Timothy and the things that we've learned from it. I hope you've learned from it. Uh, see, I get, to, I get to read it and study it a whole lot more than you just to get ready. And it's just an encouragement to me that we can and should be growing following and serving the living God. Next week will be Palm Sunday. Uh, we're going to do a few things special next week, and then Easter will be the week after. And it will probably be one of the most different Easter services you've ever been in. If you're thinking about missing a Sunday, don't miss Easter. Because we're going to... Yeah, it's different. Uh, I look forward to celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Let's close in a word of prayer and then we'll do a closing song. Father, just thank you for your word. Father, thank you for this letter from Paul to Timothy in teaching us, teaching him, teaching us how the church should run, how the church should function. Father, I just pray that as we continue to move forward, that you will just continue to guide us, direct us in the way that we should go, the way that we should act and treat each other. And Father, now as we go out into our mission field that you've called us to, uh, into our neighborhoods and with our families, that Father, we can be a light in the darkness around us. And we just pray this in your most precious name. Amen.